teacher friend. Welcome to another episode of Simply Teach, a podcast for teachers and by teachers. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson. I'm a former teacher turned classroom organization and management coach. My passion is to help teachers just like you organize, manage, just love their classrooms. Each episode is full of simple ways to engage your students, stay motivated, and keep up with best practices. Because y'all, I know teaching is hard, but I am so glad that you're here. Hey teachers, you are listening to episode number 18. This week, I'm chatting with Sarah Force from The Designer Teacher. Sarah is a former special education teacher now working full-time on her TPT store and her teacher subscription box, Teacher Care Crate, which you'll hear all about in our conversation. I want to remind you about Patreon. It's an online platform that allows patrons, which is you, to contribute monthly to the podcast and the blog. You can choose from one of three tiers, and depending on which tier you choose, you get additional content from me. There's a $2 tier, a $5 tier, and even a $15 tier. You can head to patreon.com slash thesimplyorganizedteacher.com to read more information and sign up to contribute. The five steps to staying organized resource guide and the parent-teacher conference guide are already up there and you can get access to them as soon as you become a $2 patron. Today, Sarah and I talk about her journey into education, which is a lot different from many of the teachers I've had on the podcast. Sarah tells us about her journey in the classroom and eventually to burn out because of the hours she was putting in. We talk about how important self-care is and how important it is that all teachers are practicing it. We both kind of get on our soapboxes about that, but y'all know that's nothing new for me. Her passion, though, is to support teachers in establishing self-care, and it's part of what led her to create the Teacher Care Crate, which is a monthly subscription box with goodies to help teachers care for themselves. And guys, do like I did. Go follow her on the Designer Teacher and Teacher Care Crate on Instagram and watch her unboxing videos, and you'll be convinced that you want one. Sarah also talks with us about her time in special education and gives some great practical tips that you can use in your classroom, even if you're a general ed teacher. Y'all, thank you so much for listening and telling others about the podcast. I feel so honored that I get to be a little part of your day. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for believing in this podcast. Here's my conversation with Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yes, super excited to have you here. I shared with you when I reached out to you, I think I did, that I've had people reach out to me wanting organization tips from teachers with a SPED background. And so then I went on a quest to find teachers who have been in the special education world, which is kind of your background, correct? Yes. So tell us a little bit about your time as a teacher and then what you're doing now. Sure. Um, So as a special education teacher for four years um, in Chicago public schools, and I was a mix of resource and inclusion, I feel like a lot of the sort of teachers in the Instagram world, you see that they are self-contained. But I did, I was actually probably inclusion most of the day, which is doing sometimes called push in. Uh, working with students in the gen ed room. And then for a couple periods a day, I was working with kids in my room in the resource room. So like I say, I did that for four years. And now I actually run my teachers pay teacher store, the designer teacher, um, and then a subscription box teacher care create full time. That's so fun. So you got to step out of the classroom to do that. Yes. Yeah. It's, this is my second, I still think of everything in terms of school years. This is my second school year doing that. Doing that full time. Mm-hmm. Well, Okay. You mentioned uh, teacher care crate. I went on Instagram and was creeping that this morning <laughs> and 
I want it. Uh, that's so fun. How did you, well, first of all, tell us what it is. And then I want to know how you came up with it. Okay. Uh, so teacher care crate is a self-care subscription box for teachers. So it's a monthly subscription box that, you know, you probably heard of other subscription boxes. Um, and it's five to seven items that are all designed to help teachers practice self-care. So sometimes I, I try to include like one to two bath or beauty items each month. Um, there's things that are specifically for teachers. Like this month, there was a mug that says teach on it. And there was a classroom sign. I often collaborate with, um, other teacher designers to have them do like an inspirational print each month. So my background is actually in design, object design specifically. So it kind of goes along with that. And the idea had occurred to me to do a subscription box for teachers before, but you know, it's kind of an unknown world. And I was just like, that's so much work. I already have my own thing going on. And then I had a friend, um, Tamara, uh, Tamara Russell, Mrs. Russell's room. And she has a friend who runs a self-care box. And she was like, Sarah, you have to do a self-care box for teachers. Cause that's sort of part of my whole mission through the designer teacher, as well as promoting self-care for teachers. Um, and I was still thinking like, no, it's not really possible, but I really couldn't stop thinking about it. Uh, and my husband and I were like spending all these dinners, like talking about it. What could I include? What could I do? Um, so I decided to just kind of try it out. And I said, okay, I'm just going to do sort of a beta box and do 25 of them and see if people are interested. And when I announced it, it sold out in an hour. Um, so then I was like, okay, I might have like a, a real thing here. So I've been doing that since last January. Okay. I have so many questions <laughs> through my brain. First of all, you, you got your degree in what? My, I have my bachelor's of fine arts in interdisciplinary object design. What does that mean? So it is a mix of all different kinds of object design. So the, the school I went to Towson university, it's sort of a mix of like old school craft. The major used to be called something with craft in it, but then also more like new school tech. So I took like ceramics courses and woodworking. Um, and then I also took graphic design and 3d printing and laser cutting and social design. So it's just sort of, it's a kind of major that you would most likely go into product development coming out of there. Okay. But I didn't, obviously. <laughs> what was your plan going in with that? What did you want to do? That's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know if you know how this is. I, I was listening to some other people on this podcast and other education podcasts, and everyone's like, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, and that's what I was going to do since I was six years old, which was not me at all. Um, but I've always been like creative and very arts-oriented, and design, I felt, suited me even more than fine arts because I really like solving problems and making like a concrete thing. Um, and so I don't know that that major just really stuck out to me and I really enjoyed it. And what I would have liked to have done is do something in social design, which is sort of designed for, um, like social justice type causes, but coming out of undergrad, it's like, I don't know if that job exists. And like the best case scenario would have been like working somewhere like black and Decker, like, or under armor, like something like that, which is cool. But I was just not ready to do that as like an idealistic 21 year old. I don't want to just be like sitting in front of a computer, mm -hmm. um, doing like 3d printing software. So then where did teaching come into all that? So, um, <laughs> this is kind of controversial. Um, I like my senior year, I kind of decided that wasn't, you know, really what I wanted to pursue. And so I started looking into other options, like different volunteer programs. Um, and I came across teach for America, which is what I ended up doing. And that's how I got my teaching degree. So, um, I 
was I was living in Baltimore and I applied for Teach for America in Chicago, which is where my then boyfriend now husband lives. I live also. Um, and so that's how I got into teaching and I got my certification through National Lewis. Very cool. I have a few friends, not a few, probably two people I know that have done Teach for America. Um, and so when you're doing that, you're getting your alternative certification at the same time? Yes, which... <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely, I have mixed feelings about it because I was really unprepared. Um, I will say like in Chicago, there's a, like a huge shortage of special education teachers. Like there's just vacancies. So that was one thing that made me feel better. It was like, I was working as, um, I'm trying to remember what the word like a, like a, not probationary. It was like a, a temporary certificate my first year, but, um, both schools I worked at, they just had empty positions. So it's like, if I wasn't there, no there one was going to be there. Yeah. They can't get them. Yeah. Well, I mean, nowadays there's a lot of teachers getting alternative certifications and I don't necessarily think it's a wrong thing, but it's just a lot more learning on the fly and having to figure it out as you go to teach for yeah. America provide like additional support for you or? Yeah. So it's a two year program and you are doing like some training on your own in sort of the year leading up. And then there is like, they, I don't think we're supposed to call it this. We all called it like the TFA boot camp. It's supposed to be like Institute or something, but that's summer and you're teaching summer school. Um, and so you are in the classroom before that, but you don't have sort of that student teaching experience or anything. And then you have a mentor throughout the two year program. That's like coming and observing you and giving you feedback and kind of giving you extra help if you need it. And then of course the school that hires you, I mean, they, they sort of, you know, they know what the situation is. They chose to hire you some. Right. <laughs> well, what do you say then to a teacher listening right now who has gotten their alt cert? What would be a tip or motivation you would give them or encouragement? That is sort of going through the process right now. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I'd say just to like keep going and it does get easier, you know, and I, and I sometimes, I mean, people give me a hard time for doing teach for America all the time, like the schools I've been at and stuff. And I understand that, like, there's a lot of issues with the program and I probably wouldn't do it if I <laughs> was, was going back now, but it's like, you've done it. You're, you're in teaching. Hopefully you're going to stay. Um, so it's just a sort of a, a matter of like putting in, <laughs> putting in the effort and getting through it. Yeah. Well, I think that's most first year teachers. You're going to have to put in a lot of work. Right. And that and is the thing. Sometimes yeah, I hear from teachers and it's like, I also didn't know what I was doing and I graduated with a degree in this. Yeah. So, and I think especially yeah. with special education, it's, there's such a wide range where you can end up and depending what your placement is, you might not have taken any courses on what you're actually doing anyway. Yeah. Okay. I got us way off track. I'm sorry. Thank you for <laughs> taking that detour. So teacher care crate. I'm trying to think what my other question was. So how did you start out doing that? Like, what was your, the first step for that? So I just started thinking about like items that I thought teachers would like that would kind of brighten their month to receive them. And so since I was very recently a teacher and one of the things I really should have been focusing more on was self-care, that was kind of my inspiration. So they, they've grown a lot. My subscribers say, oh, it gets better every month, which I hope it does. So the first month was like very low key. I was like, I'm going to learn how to make a bath bomb. And so I think there were bath bombs. There was like a packet of tea. There was a bracelet that said breathe on it. There was an air plant. Um, there were just sort of a bunch of little things that I thought would help you take care of yourself. 
And at that time, it's like, I knew I wouldn't be making any kind of profit on the first one because I was just, you know, just sort of trying it out. Right. Um, and so I've kind of almost every box I've personally made one of the things that go in it. So that's kind of fun for me with having that background design, try to kind of come up with something that teachers would like, and then I can make myself. So I'm guessing I'm just being nosy here. You like reach out to other teachers or companies or whatever, and you buy their stuff at like a, what's it called? Wholesale, uh, wholesale price mm-hmm. and then put it in the box. Yes. That is pretty much how it works. So you, I've kind of cultivated relationships with like different Etsy shops and stuff. Cause I really like to include handmade when I can. Um, and of course, you know, for them, if they're going to be making 250 or 300 of them, which is like the numbers that I'm at now, they're able to offer that at more of a discount. Cause it's way more, you know, than they're normally selling. And then I'm able to pass that, oh, that discount along to teachers by, you know, the, the value of the box is higher than what I'm selling it for. And then also by making right. it myself, I'm also able to save that way. Um, I hope you can't hear my, can you, can you hear the other dog? Okay. He's fine. Sorry. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> Or she, she, it's a she, right? Yeah. It's fine. This is like living in an apartment. It's just, it's kind of nonstop with the barking. Oh, I know. I feel bad for my neighbors. I, I, when I lived in an apartment, I hated it. And my husband and I are getting ready to move to Germany in about three weeks. Yeah. And so like right now we're in a house, obviously we're not going to be able to be in a house there. We have two dogs and I'm dreading the barking that's going to happen once we move in to an apartment with people all around us. Yeah. I mean, it's like, we, we have a nice apartment. I love the location. I'm, I'm just definitely ready for a house. Teacher friends, I want to take a second to tell you about my ebook, The Simply Organized Classroom. This ebook is full of tips, tricks, ideas, and resources for you. There's seven different chapters here. I'll read them to you really quick. First chapter is looking pretty classroom layout and aesthetics. Chapter two, the simply organized classroom organization tips. Chapter three, establishing an environment, classroom management plans. Chapter four, staying sane in the classroom, establishing routines. Chapter five is taking back your time, time management techniques. Chapter six, smiles, tears, and fears, tips for first year teachers. And chapter seven is teaching isn't just in the classroom, school dynamics. So I talk about each of those things in the ebook. You can get it by heading over to the Simply Organized Teacher website. Click shop on the top menu bar and you'll see it right there. You can also use the code SIMPLYTEACH to get 10% off any purchases you make in the shop. You mentioned self-care and you said something about something I should have been focusing on more. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about that. Um, so I'm, I try to be pretty open about this because I feel like and I mean, there's nothing wrong with this, but that people try to present, especially on sort of the Instagram world as, you know, like I, I have a perfect classroom and everything's like going great. And I just feel like that is not realistic for, for most teachers yeah. at all. No. And that was really not the case for me. I love my jobs and I love the kids. Um, but I also have an anxiety disorder and at different times I just really struggled with having any kind of balance. Um, my last year of teaching, I basically had a mental breakdown and I was like, I, I can't keep going with this. Um, and that was like in October of that year. And I honestly was thinking I'm not going back after winter break. Um, but like I said, because I know it's so hard to replace special education teachers, I was like, okay, if I can, if I possibly can, I'm going to make it to the end of this school year and then I'm going to take at least a year off. Um, 
And kind of the way it made that it through that school year, it was like really, really prioritizing self-care. I started going to therapy. Um, and my therapist just kind of made me realize that like I was doing nothing for myself. Um, she just told me like in our first session, she was like, you're 26 and you are literally working yourself to death. Like this is not sustainable. She was like, you are not enjoying your life and there's no reason for that. And I just realized I was like, it's, it's true. Like I have no major problems. I'm I'm 26 years old. I'm married. I'm like living in a great city and yet I'm miserable. And so I really had to make that adjustment. And I've seen it even more clearly being out of teaching, how hard teachers work and how much it's kind of costing them on a personal level. So that's really part of my mission is to get teachers to uh, give themselves a break. Yeah, I completely agree. So I stepped out of the classroom this past year because of our move, but I was kind of at a place where no matter what, I was changing schools and districts because I had become so burnt out where I was. Mm. Um, but it is, it's so hard. And I feel like with this, I mean, you mentioned it already, the teacher Instagram world is, we all know going into it that it's everybody, their highlight reel, everybody's putting their best foot forward. We, we know that, but when we're in the midst of looking at it and seeing everybody's stuff, it's just a continuous puts you down. You know, I'm not good enough. My classroom doesn't look like that. I'm not doing that great lesson. And it, it's such a double-edged sword, Yes, because I think it can be super inspiring. And in some ways, I was super grateful for it because the schools that I was in, I was not seeing the kind of stuff uh, that maybe you would see on Instagram or Pinterest, which is completely fine and reasonable. But it was like, I kind of want, I needed or wanted something kind of to aspire to like some more inspiration, maybe than what I was seeing, because everyone was just kind of like holding on, (laughs) which again, is perfectly understandable. Um, But yeah, like you said, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Um, because sometimes I see things even now and I'm just like, I don't even understand in like the best case scenario in like the best district, how your classroom looks like that. I don't understand it, but I guess it's just like all about the choices that you make and, and where you put your time. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, there's a balance too, I think, because when I think about my first year teacher self, my priority was my classroom because it brought me joy being there and working in my classroom brought me joy. So I don't want to take that away from newer teachers who are experiencing the excitement of being in their classroom all the time and setting up. But there's also that boundary line that you have to establish early on, because if you don't, I mean, there were days I would stay till eight o'clock at night. You know, I'd be there from six 30 in the morning till eight o'clock at night. And that was a frequent thing for me. And you have to establish those boundaries or, I mean, you're going to end up burnout yes. and, and wanting to leave. Yeah. And, and I completely agree with you. Like, and I actually loved making my classroom like this really like nurturing, nice place for students to be. And yeah, so I don't want to take away from that at all, but it is like, you're saying you have to cut it off somewhere. And I, and I just was not doing that. It, it took an outside person, which was in my case, my therapist telling me that to do it. I really took someone just being like, what are you doing? So I try to be that person for other teachers. Yeah. What are some things you say to teachers to do to practice self-care? Like what are some things your therapist told you to do or So this sounds like, uh, crazy to me now, but she said to me, she's like, I want you to take 10 minutes twice a week to do nothing. And I literally was like, I can't do that. 
I don't have time for that. I'm like, again, what was I talking about? Like you do have 10 minutes and you know, she's like, it could be like meditating or it could be coloring, just something that like is not for a purpose. It's not checking something off your to-do list. And that's actually when I started doing puzzles, people who follow me on Instagram know, like I'm always doing a puzzle, but I started after school twice a week, either coloring or working on a puzzle for 10 minutes. And that was something I was not doing. As soon as I got from home, home from school, I was immediately starting working and I was working till I went to sleep and then I woke up and then I was doing it again. Um, so that's mm-hmm. something I tell teachers, just like give yourself a break. Um, and once you start doing that 10 minutes, you'll realize, oh, maybe I could actually take a half hour to myself. And again, now being out of it, I'm like, that's insane that you're even only taking a half hour for yourself every day. But so many teachers are doing nothing. And I know that because that was me. Yeah. I I'm reading, have you heard of the book of joy that no, is between it's, um, a book written by an author, but he's like narrating this conversation between the Dalai Lama and the archbishop. Am I saying that correctly? Arch- okay. Um, and I think it was the Dalai Lama. I just posted this on my Instagram, but he was basically talking about the idea of their selfishness, but there's wise selfishness also. And sometimes we have to have wise selfishness to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of other people. Yes, absolutely. And that for me was sort of the wake up call because I mean, I got into teaching kind of from a a social justice perspective. And so it was just, it was like, well, as much as I can possibly do, I should be doing because these kids deserve it. And I, and it doesn't matter what's going on with me. I'm just going to pour as much as I can into it. And it's like, that might be very noble or all of that, but it just comes to a point where it's like, oh, this literally is not possible. I cannot do this. It's not a matter of like whether I want to or not. And I was seeing the teachers around me. I was like one of the younger teachers at my school. Most teachers were maybe around 10 years older than me and just like super burnt out and like kind of bitter. And it just, I was like, you cannot continue at this rate. It doesn't matter how much you want to. So, I mean, something I say all the time is like self-care is not selfish. You have to take care of yourself mm-hmm. first or you're just going to burn out. I mean, that's, yeah. And we could, that happens to so many teachers. Yeah. Preach it girl. Preach it. <laughs> Sorry. I get kind of into my, my soapbox <laughs> mode. No, I mean, I'm really passionate about that too, because I mean, I, I see teachers doing it all the time and it, it just makes me sad that I'm like, I want you to realize that you can still be a great teacher and not spend all your time in your yes. classroom. And you but can be a better teacher. Unfortunately, Yes. Yes. But unfortunately, some people just have to learn that lesson with experience. Okay. Let's kind of transition into talking about your role as a special education teacher. So you said you were doing inclusion and then some pull out or resource, correct? Yes. With special ed, at least in my experience, there's a ton of paperwork on your end, I mean, and on the general ed teacher end as well, but especially on your end, having to document all their goals and their progress and all that. So what are some ways that you would recommend for teachers or what were some ways you organized or kept up with all that stuff? So I really tried to create a flow as much as possible, like a workflow, which is something we talk about in design. And then also, you know, for people in the TPT world, it's good to do as well, which is to sort of develop like, um, 
a method for handling it. So you're not recreating the wheel each time. So for example, all of my IEPs, we had like an electronic system to input them, but I wouldn't do that till the very end because it would never save. Uh, so I would have a draft for each student for the IEP, but I would copy and paste that each time. That sounds really bad. I'm not copying and pasting IEP like info, but the things that would stay the same for each one. So, you know, like for example, everything has to be in sentence format. So all my IEP drafts would say, you know, in X student scored X score on the winter NWA, placing him in the X percentile. And I would do that for almost every section of the IEP so that when it came time, I could just input the student's information. So I tried to make things digital as much as possible. I would also have a Google form for all the students that were, or all the teachers that worked with that student to fill out. And so I could just share that with them digitally. Um, they wouldn't always fill that out, but I could like hunt them down and make them do it <laughs> was, was my system. And I also tried to just stay ahead as much as possible. At my first school, we had to have IEP drafts done 10 days beforehand and send it to the parent, which is actually legally required. My second school did not do that, but because I was kind of in that system, I would, I was always trying to, um, have things done 10 days ahead of time, which would give me sort of some flex, I guess, for figuring those out. What about scheduling your schedule of, I mean, is there even any way to simplify that? (laughs) I mean, it, I mean, it's not easy. It's just, it is really difficult and you have other teachers, you know, having to do their schedules. And then often, you know, your principal will have a certain way they want things to be. I would try to start with the inclusion minutes because that stuff's, you can't really move that, you know, the gen ed schedules too much. So start with that and then build the other ones in. It became easier for me as I became the one writing the IEPs versus when I first started because I could write the minutes to make sense. Of course, you want to write the minutes that the student needs, but you also should be taking into consideration, okay, actually, how long are these blocks? How does it make sense? You know, when does it make sense for them actually to be leaving the classroom or not? Because all special ed teachers know sometimes you get these IEPs and you're just like, who wrote this? (laughs) Like, uh, so yeah, trying to adjust and streamline the minutes as much as possible is really helpful. Well, and I imagine it's really stressful. Like when you go back to school and you're trying to get your schedule going, but teachers still haven't figured out their schedules yet. And just that, like having to, I hate waiting on people. I'm such like a perfectionist and get things done that I'm imagine that waiting is really stressful. Yes. I'm like internally shuddering, remembering that that was like one of the hardest parts for me doing inclusion and resource. Like in some ways I had kind of wished I could be self-contained because it felt more like I could just do what I needed to do. Um, as an inclusion and resource teacher, you're really dependent on a lot of other teachers and, you know, I, I was sort of the one always, like I said, trying to like follow people around and get the information from them. Um, I'm sure I annoyed people, you have <laughs> but to. I was just trying to do my job. Um, did, would you take stuff into the classroom with you, like resources and manipulatives or any of that kind of stuff? Or was it just you going in? Um, yeah, it would kind of depend. My last year of teaching, I had like a really good situation where I was teaching inclusion in one class for a lot of the day. Like sometimes I'd have these minutes where it's like, I'm only going into a class for for 30 minutes twice a week, which is like, there's so you can't do that much in that situation. But I was in this room multiple periods. Um, and it kind of became like my homeroom, even though it wasn't. And so in that class, it was, it was, that was 
actually real teach co-teaching. Um, and so, yeah, I, we would plan the lessons together. So yeah, sometimes I would be bringing in things or, you know, there would be just stuff of mine that was permanently in that room. That was definitely my best co-teaching situation. I think that's ideal. It's so hard because like you said, coming in as from a general ed teacher perspective, when somebody would come into my classroom twice a week for 30 minutes, it was like, I almost forgot they were coming in. And so I wouldn't like tailor my lesson to use them in the best possible way. And so from my perspective, that was always like something I had to be really mindful of and yeah, intentional about. I know it's hard for gen ed teachers. And so it's like, I try to be considerate of that too. It's kind of nobody's fault. It's like when there's uh-huh. minutes like that, I don't really understand the purpose of it. I don't personally write them that way. Um, because there's, there's so little that you can do other than a guest just kind of check on the student be like, Hey, what's up? Like, and yeah. at that point you almost just become more of an aide because if you weren't involved with the planning, you don't know what's going on. All you can really do is just kind of check and like help where you can. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking with, I, uh, recorded with a lady named Heather Avis. I don't know if you've heard of her. Um, she has a book out called the lucky few and her kids, oh, she'll yeah, be on the podcast, but her, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I had her on the podcast and well, she'll actually, her interview will be coming out after this one airs. But, um, anyway, she was talking about how in her ideal there would be basically two teachers per classroom with the special ed student in there um, on like on a continuous basis so that they can collaborate together to not just serve the kids with the IEPs, but really to help all the kids in the classroom. Yes. And I think even though I did have a really rough experience, my most recent year of teaching, it did that, that situation was a good one. Yeah. In, in that class where we had about a third of the kids with IEPs that worked out really well because we really structured the whole class around that. It wasn't just let me add in this thing here for almost every subject we would have groups. And so it was also helpful for all the students. Like you were saying, it wasn't always that, Oh, the lowest group is all students with IEPs. Sometimes it would be other kids in the class receiving intervention. And then we could also have that high group, which maybe always didn't get the differentiation that they, they needed. Like often I would work with this group that was struggling the most and then like our really high group. And that was kind of nice for me too, to be able to mix What about dealing with parents during meetings? And specifically, I guess I'm asking for parents that are either really defensive or not wanting to be, it be a team effort. Hmm. So honestly, I wouldn't say that I'm like a, a parent pro or anything like that. Um, especially when I was first starting out, you know, I felt really young and like maybe the teachers didn't always respect me. Like not only I was young, but I, but I looked young. Um, and then often I didn't speak the same language, uh, as, as the parents that were there. We have, um, at both schools I worked at like a, a high immigrant population, um, which is great, but just when it came down to communication, I wasn't always able to say exactly right. what I wanted to. So I always just really tried to show how much I genuinely cared for and liked their children and try to just really lead with that. And like, that's just the truth. I mean, part of what I really liked about being a special education teacher is I got to work so closely with these kids sometimes for multiple years. So I'd go in, I'd try to really show them like, well, this is what they were doing at this time last year. And now they're able to do this. Like, look how much they've grown. Um, let me, you know, just, just tell you all the great and funny things that they did. And I hope, you know, at least that they could see that I was genuine about that. And that's kind of a good starting place, hopefully. Okay. I hope I word this correctly. 
again, going back to teachers on Instagram, I feel like we see a lot of very overstimulating classrooms that, you know, just with stuff everywhere that can cause, I guess, stress to kids, um, really to any kid, but especially kids in the special education program. Did you see that a lot or deal with that? That was not something I really experienced at my school, or at least not the end that we're, we're talking about it. I was like the most Pinteresty teacher at my at my school. I was the one that everyone was like, "Can you stop that with your bulletin boards? Like you're making everybody else look bad." Um, but there definitely were rooms that were like super cluttered, or there would be like all these charts everywhere. Like that's one thing I think of is when it comes to like over decoration, sometimes it's not even decoration. Like we want to have useful tools up there like anchor charts, but I would try to be really ruthless about like, which of these things are the students actually using? If it's not something they're using on a regular basis, I think you should take it down because it's, especially for kids with dyslexia or just any kind of reading disability, having all that text everywhere, you know, it's difficult to process and it's difficult to find the information they actually need. That was a big aha for me after probably middle of my year, first year, maybe even second year, um, realizing like, okay, we did this in the first nine weeks and it's now the third nine weeks. We aren't using that anymore. I can take it down and that's okay. That was like a big Uh aha for me. And one thing I like to do is I found this, like, I don't really know what it is, like a portfolio easel stand on Amazon. Like it's, it's small and it's like, um, sleeves to put in just like a regular sheet of paper. And so I would use that as like a mini anchor chart stand. So if there was stuff that a student would need, but they didn't need all the time, I would have, you know, there's like 20 pages in it or something, and I could just flip to it and put it on my guided reading table or put it on the student's desk, but it's not something that needs to be up on the classroom wall all the time. That makes me think, not until my last year of teaching did I come up with this idea, but I would take pictures of anchor charts that were like full page, you know, like the really big Mm -hmm. chart paper, take pictures of them, print them off, back them on black construction paper, and then put those up on the walls as well, like you know, on my math word wall or whatever. So then it was like, mm-hmm. the, it was still there. It just wasn't taking up as much room. So could kids could go and references as, as they needed it. They loved it. They fe- they thought it was so cool and yeah, found it really helpful. Um, one last question about in the special ed world, if a mm-hmm. teacher's listening who is brand new or about to start in the profession, what are some ways that you would recommend them modifying lessons for kids with an IEP. So hopefully they are going to have a co-teacher or some kind of special education teacher to help them out. But I know that's not always the case in terms of modifying assignments. I mean, these are pretty basic, but you can, you know, cross out certain questions ahead of time. That's like one of the most basic things is just to shorten it or to shorten the length requirement. Um, and in terms of like not making it obvious, I think, my students would pick up on pretty fast that like they might get kind of separate directions. I'd give the directions out to the class or the gen ed teacher would. And then I'd say to them, you know, if you only want to write two paragraphs instead of three paragraphs, that's fine. You know, so just to shorten it. Um, and then there's some things you can do, like we were talking about before, that's beneficial for all students, like for a writing assignment to write up just like a bunch of relevant words that they might need to know how to spell. And that's something, you know, let's say if you're writing about fall, 
then just writing up, you know, Scarecrow, October, Leaves. And then the student can can look up at that and get ideas and have the spelling without having to ask you. That's always something I try to do is to allow them to be as independent as much as possible. And then another thing I would do a lot that, again, helps for all students is after you've given the assignment to say, okay, anyone that needs more clarification or wants to hear the passage read aloud can come see me on the carpet. And in that way, you're, you're allowing all students to get a help. And like, I'm thinking of this class where about a third of the kids had IEPs. There actually were kids who didn't need that. And that allowed them to kind of manage for themselves. Okay, actually, I can read this just fine. I'll stay at my desk. Whereas my kids who did need it would then go to the carpet. And so that's also building like executive functioning skills to be able to determine for themselves. I love that idea. That's great. Okay. I want to kind of wrap up with some rapid fire questions. I have a list of them and I'm, I didn't prep you for them. Well, a couple of them I did, but okay. (laughs) um, You're just going to say whatever first comes to mind. Sound good. Okay. Okay. Are you a coffee or a tea person? Coffee. Coffee. Arrive to school early or stay late? I want to say both, but more arrive early. I could, in my first few years, I could arrive early to school, but by the last year, I was walking in with those kids after the bell rang. I could not get myself there. I admire that. My second school, I lived really close. I lived like five minutes away, which was nice. So I would get there like 45 minutes early. Yeah, that's nice. Um, Top three favorite podcasts. You told me you were a podcast listener. Yes. Um, my favorite murder is probably my favorite one kind of grew on me. Um, this American life, that was like the first podcast I listened to and it's still just really good. And trying to think of a third one that I really like. This is an old one and it's not current, but Limetown was like one of my all time favorite podcasts. What is that one about? So it's, it's, fiction, but you almost don't realize it's fiction. It's like being told from like a reporter's point of view, almost sort of like serial, except for it's not real. Um, and it's, it's a mystery. It's about like a, a mysterious town, but it's really cool. It's like, as if you're listening to this American life or something, but it's fiction. And then it just stopped like years ago. And they say there's going to be a second season in 2018, but we're coming to a close here. So Limetown, if you're listening, I'm ready. Did you listen to S town then? Yes. And what's the other one up and vanished? Have you? No. And I was listening to one of the other podcasts and you mentioned that. And I was like, Oh, I got to listen to that. I have like so many true crime podcasts, uh, because I'm like so much of the day, I'm just kind of working on stuff that I can be uh, listening to something in the background. Yeah. So I listen, I listen to a lot. So I got to check that out. Yeah. I miss my drive to work. Cause that's when I would listen to all my podcasts. Okay. Your biggest pet peeve when it comes to teaching. Man. <laughs> um, I'm going to say working with co-teachers that are not good. That's not a nice thing to say. I worked with a lot of good ones, but it's just, it's really when you're working with a co-teacher who just like, they don't want you there. They don't want to be there. And I, you know, really made my life difficult at times. Yeah, I bet. So what about your favorite teacher memory then? My favorite teacher memory. Uh, this is kind of a, a more all-inclusive, but like one thing I really loved doing was reading Harry Potter with my students. 
And it was just like such a breakthrough for, for some of them, like their first time getting into a book. And I was like, I'm like just the right age where I was like obsessed with it, you know, as all the books are coming out and everything. So that was like really cool to share with them and see them getting into it and like a really good way to develop relationships. So I always look back on that fun. What grades did, were you in? Uh, kindergarten through fourth. What grades were you reading Harry Potter to them at? Like second through fourth. See, I, um, I love Harry Potter and I thought about wanting to read it to my kids, but I wasn't sure if it would, if parents would like get mad because it's magic and witchcraft and all that. Yeah. I had a little bit of leeway because I was this, I would do this with my reading resource group. And so it was, you know, it was never more than like 10 kids. So there is a limited amount of damage, you know, if a parent had really not liked it, of course, you know, I wouldn't have done it. Um, and, and I had, I used the illustrated versions, not my first couple of years, but in the more, more recent years. And so that was a really great way to make it accessible. It's funny. Cause my mom is like super religious and anti Harry Potter. And like, she she would be one of those parents who would be like, not in my school. Yeah. Um, but I was just lucky and it, it didn't come yeah, up. That's what I, when I, Encounter like when I thought about it, that's what I thought of is the few parents I know from my childhood that were like, no, you can't read those books, but they're so good. I love them. I think it's kind of died down because it's like not really current anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know, it might not really occur to them to have an opinion. Well, and I feel like they're, the books, I feel like once you get to book five is when it kind of starts getting really dark and mm-hmm. the likelihood of making it that far with a group of kids with the books is not, I mean, I don't think you would get that far in them. No, I did the first, I had almost the same group of students two years in a row. And so I did the first Harry Potter book with them in the second year. We did the second one. And I was like, I don't know if I could get away with spending two years on the same series of books, but they were like begging. They were like an on, on an ongoing campaign. So I was like, all right, if kids are begging you to read anything like that's well, that's and I wonder how many of them now are still reading the, the rest of the series because of that love for it you instilled in them when you were in the classroom. They definitely try to, uh, unfortunately, you know, it's like, I never knew as a kid what reading level it yeah. is, but I think Fontes and Pinnell, it's like a reading level V and some of these kids yeah. are like a reading level A. So it's like, there's, there's going to be some time, but they would get really into it and they'd, you know, watch right, the movies exactly. and stuff and they enjoyed checking the books out from the library, even though they couldn't read yeah. them. But know? sometimes, I mean, that's good for kids, I think, to give yes. them the opportunity. All right. I want to wrap up with you telling us where we can find you, how we can get the teacher care crate, all those goodies. Okay. So my website is thedesignerteacher.com. And then on Instagram, I'm at the designer teacher, Facebook, the designer teacher, the teacher care crate is sold out for the time being. It's like, I did not foresee this happening, but it's been selling out really quickly. So definitely follow, um, teacher care crate on Instagram. And that's where I announce, um, when like the next crates will be available. And then when it's actually time to describe that's, uh, or to subscribe, that's teachercarecrate.com. Do you do them each month or are they every couple months or? Yeah. So it's every month and, People always are confused by this. Maybe I don't explain it clearly enough. But like once you're subscribed, you'll get it every month unless you cancel. Um, but I always have new people that want the box. Okay. And so it's like, okay, this month I opened up 50 more subscriptions, but they sold out in a day. So it's like, I'm not going to have any more available probably until the November crate. That was for the October one. So I do, I offer, I try to add more each month. That's so awesome. I'm so excited for you. Thanks. I've been like so kind of, 
taken aback because uh, there's been times, I've been doing it since January and it's sort of been a little bit ups and downs, like overall up, but sort of in the last couple months, it's been selling out so fast. And I'm so like a people pleaser. I'm like, I'm sorry like, yeah. <laughs> because people want them and I don't have them, but I have to plan ahead, you know? So it's like, I can't anticipate just how many, you know, people will want. Are you, do you plan on bringing more people onto your team? Uh, I mean, I'm going to have to, it's like gotten, I always tell myself, I'm like, okay, when it gets to 300, like you just cannot do that anymore, which is what October is going to be. Um, and so I am having a teacher who is coming and helping me out to pack boxes for October. That's really the hardest part is, is packing all of them. Um, so I'm hoping that should help. I don't know if I'm just going to get to a limit. I mean, moving into a house would also help for that reason. Uh, like I got, <laughs> I got yelled at by my building manager this month for having all the boxes in the lobby. And then the post office was really not happy with me either. So it's just sort of, it's like getting to the scale where I'm like, did not think this one out. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it evolves. That's so awesome though. I, you know, as somebody who's like trying to start their own business in the teaching world, hearing you talk about that gets me excited. Cause I'm like, I want to be there one day. Thank you. It's just one of those things where I always felt that way of like TPT and stuff, seeing people who are bigger than me being like, oh, like, and so it's kind of not like I'm like the biggest person there is or anything like that, but it's weird to be in that position. It doesn't, it's not like as exciting as you think it's going to be because there's also a lot of work problems, you know, like I'm like joking about that, but I'm actually like really anxious about the fact that like my neighbors probably hate me and my building manager is like, you can't. Well, yeah. I mean, can you like run a business out of your apartment? Probably not. I I mean, you can, you can, like I'm an LLC Uh and it has, it has my address here. It's just a matter of like, how are, are they going to stand for there being 300 boxes in the lobby for 24 hours every yeah, month? You yeah. Know? Which thank you for mentioning LLC. I need to do that before I move. I'm going to write that down on my list right now. <laughs> I need to yeah. take care of that. Well, I wonder if you can have an international address. I, I think I'm going to keep my address local because our okay. house that we live okay. in, we like, we're not selling it. We still own it. Oh, okay. So I think that it should be okay. Yeah, no, that should be fine. I'm always like having every time we move, you know, change, having to change it, yeah. it and yeah. stuff. So can you tell I want a house? <laughs> are y'all wanting, are y'all That's planning to move? Or are y'all trying to? Well, my, my husband's a professor and he's up for tenure in the next year. So it all depends if he gets tenure, then we're staying and we'll probably buy around here. And if he doesn't, then we will be moving somewhere else. Yeah. So kind you know, of in the either zone. way, we're getting a house. Yeah. <laughs> I have some friends that live in Chicago and I'm trying to think. He own he doesn't own, he manages like a really popular wine bar. I'll have to look it up and see if you've been there. Um, yeah, yeah I'll let you know. Okay. We just like totally got sidetracked again. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And again, congratulations on everything that is happening for you and your business right there right now. That is really exciting. And I'm really excited for you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love getting to chat with Sarah and hear all about the great things she's doing to help other teachers. Make sure to go follow her on Instagram and Facebook. And hey, y'all follow me while you're there. I know that you found something helpful in our conversation and I would love, love, love it if you would share this episode with another teacher friend, especially a first year teacher, because we can all remember how difficult those first few months really are. Links to everything Sarah and I talked about will be over on my website, thesimplyorganizedteacher.com. Last thing, if you have a minute, will you head over to iTunes to rate and review the podcast? It's super easy and it's how other people find the podcast. 
Also, don't forget you can find out how to contribute to the podcast and the blog while getting additional content from me by heading to patreon.com slash the Simply Organized Teacher. I'll see y'all next week. Friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Simply Teach. Don't forget to head over to the simplyorganizedteacher.com for all of the show notes, links to things we talked about, and you can sign up for my email list there. Also, be sure to find the Facebook group because I want to be your social media friend. The fun music you're listening to, that's provided by hooksounds.com. 